Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm excited. I was, I was looking forward to having Christmas Eve on Sunday all year long. Why? Because guess what? We get to celebrate together. It's like one big living room right now, right? Amen. Awesome. So I, I, hope, I hope your season uh, this, last, this last month or so has, has treated you well. And we had a, a great earlier service at 9. And we're excited about you know, what God wants to do even with us right now in this service. And like Pastor Ken said, please, please, please don't miss one of our services tonight. We have two services at 5 o'clock both at uh, one here at this campus in, in Meridian and our campus downtown, uh, 14th and Bannock. So make sure you come out, have fun, celebrate. Hey, I'll tell you this, right? This is one of those services. You could have done it in this service, and hopefully you did. But this is one of those services that you can bring and invite your friends and family to. And just let God do what he wants to do. All you got to do is just send the invite. So challenge you to do so. Do that. Um, we're going to start today out of Matthew chapter 2. Even as Pastor Ken uh, read the verse uh, that we're going to be speaking from today, uh, I'm just going to continue on with it. It's Matthew's narrative of the nativity scene, not necessarily the scene, but Jesus comes, come on, on this scene. God invades our world, and we see this, why we celebrate Christmas. I want to talk about that today. Hopefully, if we've drifted in our thoughts or understanding of why we do what we do, why we celebrate uh, this day, every moment of our life, uh, it's, it's for a specific reason. Hopefully, uh, today we'll leave, come on, encouraged with the Word of God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 and 11, and this is the, the wise men from the east, and it says, And they saw the star, it says, And they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house where the child was with Mary's mother, was with, excuse me, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him, and then opening their treasuries, what they do? They offered him Gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these are gifts that are fitting, right, for a king. Now, I know this, that when it comes to Christmas time, now, I know some of you in here, how many have all their Christmas shopping done? How many, okay, that's, that's an easy question. How many still have some shopping to do and you still got a little bit of time? Thank you, thank you. You're with me. Yes, you can be, it's, it's, it's a safe atmosphere here. It's a safe place. How many spent hours and hours and hours Christmas shopping? How many spent just a couple moments and you still got more to do? I think the challenge with Christmas shopping, depending on who it's for, is trying to find that right gift, trying to find that perfect gift for someone that's going to create that emotion or it's going to evoke that response like when they open it. No way. There's no way that you got this for me. Some gifts do that. And if they don't do that, pretend they do that because the person that gave it to you is watching. I think the word, the, one of, and a, there's a few offensive things that kids can do to parents, but one is when they tear through the gift, they open it, and then they throw it to the side to get another gift. Like, wait a minute, what, you can't move on to the second gift if you don't appreciate and kind of drool over and you're in awe of the gift you just opened. See, that's the tricky thing is trying to find those gifts 
that create that in, in the recipients. And there's gifts that do that. Pastor Chris, he, he alluded to it, right? The Lexus commercial. It just drives him nuts watching that Lexus commercial because, I mean, really, the majority of people, they can't live to that standard. Of course, that's going to make someone ooh and ah. If you wake up and you don't open anything, you just go outside and there's a brand new Lexus with the bow on it. But that's the kind of gift that sometimes uh, we try and look for people. Uh, I remember mine came along in the, the, the winter, Christmas of 1989. Uh, that's a real year. I just didn't make that up. Uh, I do remember exactly. It was the Christmas of 1989 because the 10 years plus prior to that, um, I was living in and spending summers and winters and spring and fall uh, in a pair of shoes called Fastbacks. You could find these at Shopco or Payless. And Fastbacks, you know, they, they were great for the price. And my parents, they met well and they, they worked hard. Uh, but, you know, it was Fastbacks for shame. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. Just the only problem, there's a few problems. One, when it got cold, the pleather would crack. And so... That's a problem because then when you'd run, it'd cut the inside of your calf. Uh, the other problem is when you were on a basketball court with other friends and you went to stop, right? You just kept sliding because the soles, they weren't like a real rubber. It's like hard plastic and uh, they're elevated a little bit. So it's like you're on skates out there. And so I remember distinctly, and I almost come to it every year, I'm reminded of this. Christmas of 1989, I spot a package under the tree that looks like it's shaped like a shoebox. I'm like, okay, this could be the year. This could be the day that my life's going to be changed. And so I remember digging into that present, opening it up, and lo and behold, there was a Nike symbol on this box. I opened the box up, and there were my first pair of Nike Airs. They were all white with a little bit of a black and orange trim. I remember going to bed, and I didn't even remember anything else that I was given. To be honest, and this is a good point, too, I don't really remember any other gifts of my lifetime in my adolescence except for that pair of Nikes. Because I went to bed, and I set them in the middle of my room, and I went to sleep on my pillow, and I stared at them until I, f I fell asleep. And then I woke up in the morning, and you know the first thing that was on my mind? It wasn't family, it was not friends, it was nothing other than what was in the middle of my room, which was these pair of shoes. And then it had such an effect on me, I couldn't wait for Christmas break to be over so that I could wear these shoes to school. They changed my world. But really, did they change my world? They didn't. Because after a while, and I treated them the best that I could, after a while, like anything, what happened? They, they wore out. They, they ran down. The, the, the thrill and the excitement and the anticipation of them was a distant memory. Um, and they just, became, uh, they just became a good thought. And they became something that, yeah, I'll treasure. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't something that was life-shaping to me. However, at that time, I thought it was the greatest gift that anyone could ever give to me. Now, I got to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm speaking. I got my iPad up here. And I thought, man, I'm excited. I got an iPad this last year. And some of you are like, man, I hope I get an iPad for Christmas. Can I just tell you right now that if you do get an iPad for Christmas, it's going to be cool for a moment, but guess what? Just like those pair of Nikes, it's going to just be okay. 
And that's the thing when it comes to material possessions within our life. They can never really be the perfect gift. Why? Because they, they don't have what it takes to satisfy every area of our life. But that's why I love Christmas, because Christmas is a reminder, not about all the things that we can get or even give to people. Christmas is a reminder of what's been given to us freely without any strings. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And I'm so grateful that God doesn't uh, lord and govern over all eternity uh, like someday how I parent. And you know this, I just thought about this in, in, in the last service. It's funny, how many, how many, how many parents out there, you used Christmas under the tree to get your kids to do what they're supposed to do? And so for a month in our household, it's all about threats. Really? You're not going to clean your room? Hmm. Well, it looks like that present is going bye-bye. And so we threaten our kids, right? We say, do you want that gift? Well, guess what? I'm going to give that gift to someone who deserves that gift because you're not listening to your mom. Just listen to your mom and you can open up the presents, right? Come on now. I'm not the only parent that's done that. You're like, uh, that might have happened or might not have happened on the way into church today. The backseat. You better just quiet down and love your sister or else every present is gone. What you'll get, you'll get socks. Do you want socks? That's what you're going to get. Now, in thinking about that, I'm grateful when it comes to Christmas, considering that that's not how God parents or loves or gives it all. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't say, hey, Shane, really? Huh? You're not going to try harder? Okay. Well, what I gave you, how about I take that back? Or how about I don't give it to you at all? How about you work a little harder? Come on, how about you try a little harder? How about you do the right thing and then I'll give you what you deserve? So that's, that's the thing I love about Christmas. That's, that's what I love about the gospel story. That's what I love about God. That even in our worst position and in the worst areas in mindsets and heart conditions of life, I love the fact that God gave us something that is greater than any gift. It overshadows every other gift that you can think about that you could create in your own strength and energy. God gave this gift freely to us without any strings attached. And the idea of it is when we open it up, just like those gifts that sometimes naturally cause us to say, no way, get out of here. There's no way you got this for me. You spent how much? When we open up the gift that God has delivered to us at Christmas, God coming into our world, giving us his very son, what it should do amongst us Christians, if we really knew what it is that we're celebrating, we should be like, no way. Get out of it. That is unbelievable. You're going to do what for me? Like, do you know what I've done all year? You're going to do what for me? Do, do you know what I've done with my lifetime? And you're saying this gift is for me? This is what I want to talk about this morning on this Christmas Eve, is I want to talk about what God has given us as he's come into our world. He's given us the greatest gift that we can ever, ever imagine. See, this gift, it, it's not an illusion. It's not figurative. It's literal. It's material. It's possessable. I mean, we can, we can touch it. Uh, we, can, we can hold it. John even says it in, in his gospel, actually in his, his, his first writing, John, 1 John chapter 1. He says, we've heard it. We've seen it with our eyes. We've looked on it. We've touched it with our hands. 
concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest. And guess what? We've seen it. Even as we read in Matthew chapter 2, it says the wise men. It says we followed the star as it arose. It led us to Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, guess what? It leads them to the house of Mary and Joseph. And they're overwhelmed, it says, with exceeding joy as they see. They don't hear that just the story. It's just not an idea. But as they realize that there's the reality that's connected underneath the stars, God's used the, the, this star to lead these wise men to where the king of not just the Jews, but the king of the world is laying and where he's at, it says they witness him. They see it. And proof of their seeing is what they do, as we just read. They give gifts to this king. And when, when you look at the story, especially in both Luke and Matthew's narrative, you realize that this didn't come, this, this whole idea of Christmas, the delivery of, of the birth, didn't come without opposition. I don't know about you, but yeah, I, I feel some opposition around Halloween sometimes. There's occultic practices at play. There's different demonic activity taking place. But I also feel it, and, and I sense it quite a bit, leading up to Christmas as well. I hear it in people's voices. Uh, you can just kind of feel it in the atmosphere. Uh, Christmas to many can, can be discouraging because it sometimes reminds them of what they're not able to give or what they don't have, or maybe something horrific has happened to them in their family relationship that it's kind of a reminder of, of their past. And I think that's, that's fair to say that that happens, uh, especially when your eyes and your attention is, is on the wrong thing. But with that, there, there's demonic activity. There, there was even here in Matthew and Luke's narrative. We see that if this was just a fantasy, if this was just a, a made-up story, if this was just fiction, uh, then what, we, then what we're going to discover is uh, that a king, Herod, wouldn't go mad or crazy over just a fantasy or a made-up story, something that is, that is fiction. But no, it, it consumed him. The very thought that uh, an opposing force and a power, the rumors, and he had them look into it, and they discovered even the, the prophetic writings of Micah uh, talking about where this king was to be born and who this king was to be and what this king was going to do. So this, this, this authority figure, this, this, this king who's trying to hold on with all his energy and all his might uh, to a power that's not fully his, he's realizing that's being threatened. And so what does he do? He, he tricks the wise man. He tries to deceive the wise man into uh, giving the location of Jesus. And then upon their return, leading him to where Jesus is at. But being warned again uh, by, very, by God himself, they didn't go the same way that they came. What we see is this king loses his mind, goes on a massive killing spree to try and stop not a fiction, not a fantasy, but the reality, the tangible reality of God himself, the new king on the scene. And why is it? Well, it's because he understood this, that the king was going to offer what only this king could offer, his very life. And this is the very thing that we need. And this is the story of Christmas. It's God offering his life to you and I. See, the, the Christmas story is not about stacks of gifts. It's about just one perfect gift. Paul says this in a very sobering way in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've all charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. He's saying from crown to foot, inside and out, all the way through, we are 
profoundly corrupt. And without this gift of salvation, we're in dire trouble. He says to the Gentiles, the stranger of God, it doesn't matter how much you've lost, if you feel broken or displaced, God's gift of salvation is for you. He says to those that are just like him, fellow Jews, God's elect. He says it doesn't matter, those that have been entrusted uh, with, with the, the law of God. It doesn't matter how good you are, how put together, how collected you are. It doesn't matter how law-abiding you are. God's gift of salvation is for you. And this is what we celebrate, that the gift that God has given us is for everyone. It's just not those in the audience today that know they need Jesus. It's those in the audience today and around our community that don't think they need him. It's for them. See, Jeremiah in chapter 17 of, of his book says that the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But God, I, God, search the heart and I examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. See, the problem is that uh, we're just not corrupt in just some generic sense or general sort of way. We're corrupt to a desperate degree. Romans says, Paul, again, destruction and misery are in their way, he says, and peace of the God they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. He places both Jew and Gentile in the same category of deep moral depravity and corruption. So deep and so corrupt that guess what we're in need of? We're in need of rescue. We're in need of salvation. Had a conversation with a friend the other day, and he asked me uh, a, a question that he's been dealing with for, for some time. I said, you know what? That's going to probably be your first book. He asked me this question, and it's kind of stuck with me for the last 48 hours. He's like, Shane, do you, do you know what it's like to be lost? And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I, I know what it's like to be misplaced. I know what it's like to kind of get off a trail, and for a moment, kind of that, that panic sets in, like which way is north, which way do I go? But I've never, to be honest, in a natural sense, been in a place to where um, I had no resources. I didn't know north from south, east or west. I've never been in a place uh, to where I've been lost in the woods and don't know what direction to go. But many people have. Um, many individuals have encountered this. And he was even, he's talking about, have you ever seen like a 275-pound man lost and in a place where they just begin to panic and just lose all sense of, of direction and anxiety overwhelms him, fear over, grips him and overwhelms him? And as I was thinking about that, I've never been lost physically. I mean, as a kid, you know, you get misplaced every once in a while. You, you're on aisle five and you turn to the right and for a moment... And you turn around and mom and dad are, are somewhere else. They disappeared. Have you ever been there? And so my strategy as a kid was always to run to the front of the store and then just sprint up and down, looking at the aisles as I, as I go by, seeing if you can see any, any sign of mom and dad. But as a kid in that moment, there, there's, there's a little bit of panic. I, I don't think it, it compares to uh, what would really define who we are and the position we're in when we're completely outside of relationship with God. When we're completely outside of relationship with God, we're at a level of lostness that, man, we can't even wrap our mind around. The problem is so many people just get used to it. They just stay there. You know what you, know what you need when you're lost? What you need when you're lost is you need to be found. And I know it sounds basic, but the, when you're lost, you don't need 
electronics. You don't need the latest thing. You don't need a good cup of coffee. You don't need even just someone just that you can uh, go through this misery with. You just don't need someone to talk to. You need to be found. And there's such a relief when you're found. There's such this overwhelming joy when you're found. You don't care what you look like and what you sound like. I guarantee if you're a grown man and you're the, you're the most masculine among us, if you get put without knowing it in a place to where you're completely turned around and given time, you, you, you let the environment create, it's where you're overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and panic. You, you just wait. When you're finally found, uh, you don't care how put together you'll be. You, you, you'll, you'll weep in excitement. You'll be overcome with so much joy that you, you'll just start shaking. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we think about this enough, what Christ has done for us. This gift isn't just some sweet little story that we should just entertain, entertain ourselves with every once in a while. I think we have to sit down, and I think we have to take some, some time within uh, our day and our lifetime and think, man, I once was so lost, so by myself, so unaware of my surroundings and where to go next. But God, in his grace, in his sovereignty, in his mercy, when I was undeserving, I was a mess. He gave and he executed this rescue mission for me. And that's why I love when I read Matthew and Luke, because the rescue mission, it didn't start with tanks and it didn't start with anything that was armored or weapons. It started with an infant in a little town, being raised by a teenage mom, uh, with a dad who's a little bit kind of unsure of things, uh, in undesirable location, in place, in setting, God sets his rescue mission in place for you and I. See, I think one of the greatest things that uh, can happen in our life is recognizing, uh, first and foremost, that we've all been lost. And maybe some of you are in this room today and you feel like, you know what? I feel lost right now. Well, take heart, because I believe this, that God knows right where you're at. He knows your story. He knows your circumstance. Uh, your lostness doesn't overwhelm and intimidate God. Why? He knows right where you're at. The worst thing to do is to run and panic and quit. The best thing to do is stop, wait, look up, call in the name of Jesus and watch. Watch the celebration that's going to overwhelm your once broken, lonely, isolated life. Watch how God will turn things around for you like he's done for millions and millions and millions of people within this lifetime. God is faithful. What we need more than anything is we need God to find us. We need God. We need to be rescued. And by sending his gift at Christmas, God is putting into motion his plan of rescue, forgiveness, and redemption. And through the gifts of Jesus, he would ultimately pay for our debt and make a way of reconciliation to take place. So take courage. If you're lost today, God knows right where you're at, and he has all the resources and the power to find you, to rescue you. It's just not about, though, salvation, forgiveness. I love the fact that Christmas is also about relationship. It's about Reconcil reconciliation. It's about restoring friendship. See, what sin has done, sin has, has caused us to go into hiding. We read this in Genesis chapter 3, 8 and 9. It says, Adam and Eve, speaking of Adam and Eve, says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, 
and I hid myself. Sin has this interesting way of instead of bringing people together, sin has this way of making us run from things, run from relationships. It causes us to hide things that we're shameful of and we're guilty of. But God has the power to overcome sin. The reason why we should celebrate on Christmas is because we realize we were lost. God found us. He restored us. He forgave us of sin. And now guess what he's doing? That which sin did and divided our relationship, God, through his rescue mission, restores the relationship, bringing us back into uh, a deep relationship uh, with God the Father. See, Satan, since his basically uh, dethronement his, since his unemployment from, uh, from heaven. He's been in this pursuit of trying to drive relationships apart, being divisive. Uh, anything and everything in his power to try and stop with the limited of a time he has uh, our connection, our relationship with God from taking place. Why? Because one of the greatest possessions we have, one of the greatest threats uh, that we have towards the enemy is our ability to be in relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's so threatening. The enemy will do everything he can to try and, and come against it. And with his limit of time, he, he doesn't stop his attempts. But how many know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world? God's power for you is greater than anything that the enemy would have against you. Why? Because we're hardwired for relationship with God from the very beginning of time. We've been created with faculty to love and be in relationship what has been separated by sin has now been restored through the life, the death, the burial, as Pastor Chris says, the life again of Jesus. Complete fulfillment as a result of this can only be experienced through our relationship with Christ. However, reconciliation can only happen if something's at play. And this is what's difficult for people. We want to be reconciled. We want relationships to be united, first and foremost with Christ, but also with each other. But the one element that has to be in the process of redeeming relationships is a word called humility. See, God in his perfect holiness, without sin, without error, come on, this is how good his gift is for you, did what we should have done, what we needed to do, and that's to humble ourselves but God does it first. He sets the example. He humbles himself to the point where he creates, uh, he sends his son to take on the limitations, come on, of humanity. But not just as, just coming in as a 30-year-old adult. He delivers his son as a rescue mission to our world. God enters our world as an infant. He had to be taken care of by a, a mom and parents. Uh, he had to go through uh, the ridicule of others. It didn't just it was a one-time event on the cross, but his entire life, he lived a lifelong practice of humility, of self-giving love, of serving others before even letting people serve him. We read this in Philippians. It says, have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Meaning this is your possession too because of our relationship with Christ. You can have the same mind as Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. Though he was who though he was in the form of God did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross so we see from a lowly manger to a Roman cross God demonstrates Jesus demonstrates this lifelong commitment to humility and because of that Paul then could write in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 he says therefore 
since we had been justified by faith. It means because of the achievements and the work, the life, and the process of Jesus, we've been justified. And now we can have peace with God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this gift on Christmas that we celebrate isn't, once again, a stack of good things. But it's, it's one thing that has a, a, a myriad of expressions. One would be the reason why you can rejoice today is because God rescued you from your place of being lost. God not only rescued, rescued us, but he also, he cleaned and he dealt with the debt that sin acquired. He took care of it through his son. But not only can we rejoice because of being rescued from being lost and being our sins being forgiven. Come on, we can rejoice because now we're in unbroken covenant relationship with the king of the universe. Meaning at any moment, at any time, you can call on his name. And it doesn't go through a channel of 40 uh, levels just to get to God. Right then and there, God knows your cry. He knows your voice. And then in return, guess what? He's able and he does speak to you in a way that makes perfect sense, that brings a calm to any situation in your life, that brings a peace that surpasses our understanding. So God comes to save us from being lost. He comes to restore us into right functioning relationship that echoes Genesis from the very beginning, always designed to be in relationship and to govern with God. Then because of that, guess what happens? He then gives us the ability to know what the peace is all about. See, it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when you look at the biblical picture of peace, what you see is it's, not, it's, it's, it's greater than just a general sense of well-being. It goes way beyond that. When you look at the picture of peace, we see the Christmas story is illustration of what it's really like. That it's not peace, is not the absence of conflict. Rather, it's about God being present with us, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. You've been listening to, to Pastor Chris lead us through this. And the question that I've asked myself, because I think if you listen to a message, it's important that you say, okay, how do I apply this not for my neighbor or for my friend, but how do I personally apply this in my own life? You have to ask the question, how is it that a Christian maintains peace throughout not just a day or a moment or a season of life, but how do you maintain peace throughout your entire, entire, your entire lifetime? Well, when you read Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read it again. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Look what Paul says. He goes, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's several things in there that, that Paul uh, gives us as answers to this question. How as New Testament, how as Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, how do we maintain a lifestyle of peace? Well, I think it has everything to do with thinking, praying, rejoicing, and worshiping. Paul says rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. Like I, 
If you didn't hear me the first time, I want to restate it so you know how important this is. How do you, how do you gain and how do you achieve this, this lifestyle and this rhythm of peace? You rejoice your way into the peace of God. Meaning that you remind yourself that it's not about situations that create or the right environment that creates peace. It means even in difficulty, what do you do? And you experience this a lot more, I think, as Christians than anything else. You learn to rejoice and worship God and declare his goodness even in the midst of storms and difficulties and trials and afflictions that come your way. And when you learn my goodness, to worship even when the surroundings around you are difficult, you will possess in you something that cannot be taken, something that goes beyond our understanding, a peace that goes beyond our environment, beyond our situation. You experience the very presence and peace of God. But not only do we rejoice our way into it, it requires that we think our way into the very peace of God. Isaiah 26 says, you keep him in perfect peace. Who's what? Whose mind is stayed. Who's fixed. Just think about the word stay. Stay your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on God. Why? Because it says you can trust him. He's the God who is an everlasting rock, meaning he's not going to move on you, meaning that he's going to be there. He's consistent. So you can go ahead and just settle yourself knowing that that which God started, he is more than faithful to complete and fulfill, come on, in our life. I had an, an illustration of this personally. I had the opportunity to kind of do a bucket list with my family this last month. We took our kids to the Macy's Day Parade in New York. And so my kids, for the first time, they went from Big Sky, right, Idaho, to Concrete Jungle, New York City. And it was quite the, the, the event for all of us. We, we loved it. We enjoyed it. But I will say the first uh, time into New York, uh, my kids, their eyes were just really big because everything else around them was really big. And there just wasn't, you know, 100,000, a few hundred thousand people. On Macy Day's parade alone, uh, three million people were just at that parade, not to mention who's living in, in, in the city. And so it, it's, it's a big place. And it was uh, fascinating for me as a dad to watch my kids, um, how they carry themselves, how they handle themselves. I remember one night, the first night we were there, um, it was getting a little bit later, but we, we got in a later flight, and I said, man, we gotta, let's go walk around. And they're like, we're not going to go walk around. It's dark out there. We don't know what's out there. That's a big city. We just drove into it, and, you know, they're giving me, you know, kind of a little bit of resistance, and I'm like, no, let's, let's go out, and let's walk around, and uh, it, it was funny, you know, I had my son on one side of me, my daughter on the other side of me kind of squeezing me in. I'm like, why don't you give dad some room? It's like, well, we love you, dad. I'm like, nah, I know you love me, but come on, back off a little bit. And, like, and they'd back off just a little bit, and then they're back to me. And I, and I was understanding it. It's different for a 40-year-old man walking around New York, but it's different when you're 11 and 12-year-old. And this is your first time there. Everything is massive. Everything looks like a threat, even if it's not a threat. And so where are they at? They're right by dad. Why? Because I represent to my kids what God should represent to us is what? Security, an anchor, safety, trust. And, and I had to do this with, with both of them. And I, I don't care, you know, how tough a little kid thinks they are. If they're from Boise and you take them to New York, you let them hang out by themselves for a good couple of days, they're going to be a little insecure. They're going to be a little scared. And I'd have to remind my kid, and I, and I, I 
I purposely did this. I'd go on night walks with them, um, and we would just be cruising uh, down the street and going to get stuff to eat and just having a blast. Um, but th- there's times that they would get, like, really, really nervous. And I said, hey, you're good. You're okay. I got you. And my son, and I'm not going to embarrass him because he's in here. He's a, he's a stud of a kid, tough little guy. Uh, and he had his, he, had his uh, he didn't have, it was cold. He didn't have his sweatshirt on. Or his hood on, I'm like, son, put your hood on. And he's like, Dad, I'm not going to put my hood on if I put my hood on. Because, you know, he's like street smart. I can't see over my shoulder. I'm like, you're with me. I'm like, what are you going to do if we get attacked? So don't worry about it. You're not going to do anything. You're going to run and you're going to go call the police. Dad's got you. The point I'm making is how many times do we do that in our walk? God's saying, do that. I don't do that. A little, little unnerving. What if something happens? God says, listen, who are you with? So why is it important to think like a Christian? Well, because you remind yourself who you're with. You remind yourself that you can actually live and walk and function in peace. Why? Because God has sent a rescue mission for you. We wouldn't read Matthew chapter 1 and 2. We wouldn't, really, we wouldn't read the narratives the, the, of, of Jesus' birth and his life in the Gospels uh, if, uh, if, if it was a fantasy, if it was fake. We wouldn't be able to have the peace of God if it didn't start there. And if you look at it from a logical standpoint, it, it's, it's progressive. You see that God comes into our world because he's here to offer us rescue because we couldn't find it by ourselves, He comes into our very story because we couldn't figure out our own way from our story. We don't know where the exit and we don't know uh, where the next point, the next turn is to go. God comes right to your mind, right to your heart, says, you who are lost, guess what? I'm here to find you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to deal with the, the error and the sin and the, the, the misconduct and the, the, the death that's been in, in your life. And it's going to be done through the achievements of my son, Jesus. He's not just going to stay infant. He's going to go from infant all the way to the cross. And he's going to become the crucified Messiah, but he's not going to stay crucified. He's going to become the resurrected king, not just the king of the Jews or some, but the king of the entire world. And the reason why we can have peace is because we're thinking, oh, We're thinking through biblically what the Bible says. If you've started the rescue in my life, you're not going to stop halfway. You're going to go all the way. As you exemplify what it is to have a lifelong pattern of humility and service and love and care, then guess what? God's doing that for you as well. He doesn't skip over some to get a few. He takes all of us and says, with your life from start to finish, I'm going to show you that I've come to rescue you for a purpose, to be in relationship with me, but then also to to work and to occupy and to be successful and to create and to raise family and to be an influencer in a community, in the nation, and the world because of what I'm doing, what the big picture of the gospel looks like. And because of that, you can just be like, okay, I got, I, you know, I got dad, dad's got me. I can go through new experiences. I can go through environments that are a little bit overwhelming, and I'm going to be okay. Why? Because Emmanuel is with us, God with us. And if you have the peace of God, guess what else you can have? This is part of the package of Christmas. You can have hope for the future. Because if you know God's with you now, 
guess what you're not doing? You're not living idle. You're just not in neutral. God's always taking us somewhere. And so you can be hopeful that no matter what you go through, guess what? God has a reason for it. God has it specifically designed for your better, for your purpose, for your end result. God's going to use what you guys, what, what we walk through with for a greater end and for a greater story. See, we can have hope in God because God is a God of hope. He's a God who's taken us in the right direction. It says, finally, the coming of Jesus into this world offers us a clear and real hope that everything wrong in this world will be made right. And following Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, guess what we get to do? We get to usher people along the way. As we follow Jesus, we can encourage them to follow Jesus with us. Lastly, Paul encourages us not to grow weary in the process of time or in the stages of life, whether through comfort or through affliction, we're to hope in God. Jesus shows us his story. He didn't show up at age 30, spend three years here as the God-man and die on a cross for us. No, he came here as an infant and he went through all the stages. He went through this entire process of maturing and growth and teaching and training and doing the will and the work of the Father. And he goes from infancy to uh, an adult human form, dies on a cross for us, something that he only could do, resurrects, taking captive death, hell, and the grave for you and I. I think when we open Christmas and we open a package this Christmas, we need to consider, man, look what God has done for me. I, I think there should be more like uh, Instagram, social media videos of people running around the house, jumping up and down. I mean, come on, what if that's what church would be like? Pastor Chris mentioned it last week. We should out-celebrate the pagans. Celebration should, it should be something that we couldn't wake up to do, not because we're laying in our bed looking at the new pair of shoes that we got when we were 13, but because realizing what Christ has done for us, it, it should cause you just without even being uh, scheduled in, you just start doing like a happy dance. You just start jumping up and down. You just, you silence all the activity in your family, in, in the home. And you say, listen, come on, just for a moment, let's celebrate what God has done for us. He's given us hope. Paul says this, to celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that uh, you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. In the ESV, he says the Lord, Paul says the Lord is at hand. So be anxious about nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your request known to God he says this he says the Lord is at hand and does that mean that Jesus is coming back tomorrow maybe does it mean that if you are absent from the body you're present with the Lord meaning if you die you're in the very presence of God if you're a believer in Jesus absolutely does it mean that God is with us the Lord is at hand does it mean that God is with us at every waking moment every sleeping occupying moment of our life most definitely it means the presence of Jesus surrounds us around the clock throughout every calendar year and he's taken us to where uh, he's intended us to go as a people. God's using us to help shape and help communicate the story of hope within family, within our community, within the city, within this treasure valley and throughout the world. We just got to do one thing. We got to open the gift that matters and we got to celebrate whenever we can, wherever we can, telling people about, look what I just received. I can't believe it. I don't deserve it. I'm still a little bit in unbelief, but look what God has done for me. 
Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.